Welcome to the One Hope Church Podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. Back for week three of the kind of mini-series called The Way. Next week, um, we start something new. And can I invite you back to next week? Can I invite you back to next week? Because we're starting a new series. It's going to be six weeks long. And I told you that... that um, from the beginning of the year until spring break, there's some messages that I really want you to hear. And I've got a, I've got a gift for everybody that's going to come next week, something we've been working on for months. And I'd love for you to be a part of what God's going to do in the next six weeks starting next Sunday. But we're in the week three of this mini-series called The Way, and from the beginning of the year, I've tried to be as clear as I possibly could with what I believe that Jesus is challenging this church with this coming year. I believe that there's seasons in every church where God wants to speak specific messages to his people, and I think we're in one of those seasons where he's looking at us and going, hey, I've got something for you. Will you listen? Will you take it in? And so week one, the conversation started with the simple but uh, simple but specific words that Jesus spoke to people from the beginning. And he just said, follow me. Now, if you were here the first week, you knew that I told you that those words, follow me, were, were maybe even better understood with join me. Or leave this over here and accompany me in where I am going. That this is the calling on his people. And so that's the calling on our church. Will we say yes to following Jesus where he is going as a church? And then last week, we went from follow me to be sent, uh, following Jesus to being sent by Jesus. Last week, we, we had the conversation that since the beginning of this movement of Christianity, Jesus has said, hey, I'm inviting you to believe in me follow me, learn from me. But part of that invitation has always been, you're going to be sent by me. That it doesn't end in just taking in information. It doesn't end with just taking in who he is. There's always a calling on our life to say, I will take what I've learned from you as I've given myself to you, and I'm going to be sent into the world. We saw that this invitation started with the twelve. And then as the movement be, uh, grew, the invitation grew and it went to the 72. And it went from the 72 to Matthew 28 where the invitation was for everyone. But the choice is ours. The choice is always going to be ours. Do you know you have a choice in your hand always of what you do with your life? Are you going to hold on to it? Or are you going to allow it to be used as Jesus sends us to do kingdom-building work. But the beautiful thing is we're not just being sent by him. As we continue the work that Jesus started, we are sent in his authority, in his strength, and we're sent together as his church. That was the plan, and we get to be a part of it. We just have to choose. Do we want to be part of the bigger plan of how God was going to redeem, rescue this broken, lost world? Do we want to say yes to it? And I, 
I want us to be people who say yes. And so the challenge to follow him, the challenge to be sent by him. And then we get into week three. Like I said, the week three, we're uh, jumping into this message. And I'll tell you that if you say yes to week one, you say yes to week two, I want to promise you two things. Your life will have more adventure and purpose than any life you could come up with yourself. That you want a lot for your life, but I want to tell you, Jesus wants more. And that is not a cliche from a pastor of your church. You want a lot for your life, but Jesus wants more, and what he has is better. But the second thing is, just because you say yes to Jesus doesn't mean all your problems are going to be fixed. Hear me on this. We say, we don't say yes to Jesus because it fixes all of our problems. We say yes to Jesus and then he promises to meet us or be with us in the middle of our problems. I say this because sometimes Jesus is the thing that we want to grab a hold of because I've got these problems in my life and if I just say yes to Jesus, these things go away. And I can't promise you that because I, I've seen through the disciples their lives that once they said yes to Jesus, they learned very quickly and consistently that they still had a world to deal with. I've seen through the stories of Christians throughout history that once they said yes to Jesus, they realized they still have a broken world to deal with. Things don't automatically get better. So today, I say that because today I want to have the conversation with you that says, that meets you in maybe when we wrestle in life where we say, I'm following Jesus as best I can. But I've still got a battle on my hands. I want to speak to somebody today who would say, Scott, I need help because I'm following Jesus as best as I can, but I'm still running into some walls in life. I'm running into it. That, Scott, I need some help because I said yes to following him. I'm willing to be sent by him. But as I go, it feels like I'm running into a series of never-ending issues and I don't know how to continue to follow Jesus and still walk in the midst of this. Where is Jesus? How is he supposed to respond to me when I'm in the middle of these things? What do I do? And so for today... I want to go to a monumental event in Jesus' life that we find in Luke chapter 7. Okay, so if you got your Bibles, you got your phones, um, uh, maybe if you don't have a Bible, there's one on the seat that you can take. You'll fall on the screen as well. But let's engage with this story that is actually a pretty big deal in the life of Jesus. Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Let me read it for you. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening. He entered Capernaum. There, a, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, 
this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one to come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Okay, so pretty famous story. Actually, in the Gospel of Luke, in the story he is telling about the good news of Jesus, this is a very pivotal story to him. Now, we're going to, as we always do, kind of break down the story. I think the best way to engage with this story is try to almost leave your filter, your mindset, and try to put yourself in the seat of Jesus. Now, that can be kind of seen, how do I think like, act like, see? But Jesus experiences this event in this story in such a unique way, and I want you to see it from maybe how he saw things play out. In verse 1, it says, After Jesus has finished um, saying all these things, he then left and entered Capernaum. What are these things that he said before he went to Capernaum. Well, to know this, you just have to go chapter before. At the end of Luke chapter 6, we see this is Jesus' famous sermon, famous teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. You've probably heard of this. Jesus, man, he just, he preaches his heart out, and he lays out these words that are beautiful. He speaks it, and then he leaves, and he goes to Capernaum. Now, remember, I said this before, Capernaum was like a home away from home for Jesus. Lots of ministry is done in Capernaum. Now, um, so Jesus speaks it, he leaves, and it's like he's kind of going to his place, and it seems that right when he gets to his place, people are there waiting for him. And this wasn't abnormal. People are always waiting. People were there not only waiting for him, but they had a request from him. Once again, not all that abnormal. And so Jesus sees these elders, and he has this conversation with them. Now, so that we're on the same page, we need to remember this centurion is a Roman military man, which makes him a Gentile, which is very important to this story. The elders approach Jesus on behalf of him, and they make the request. Now, you saw the request, right? The elders tell him, the centurion has someone that he highly values, he loves, he cares about. The centurion is carrying a weight right now of someone that he loves in a terrible place, and this person is about to die. Jesus, we need you to come and do this miracle in his life. Well, they make the argument compelling enough that Jesus 
makes his way towards the centurion's house. But what we see is he doesn't even make it to the house because it seems like the centurion probably heard, oh, Jesus is coming. So he sends friends to meet Jesus, and he basically says two things to him. I'm not worthy. Okay, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. I'm not worried for you to come under my roof. I'm not worthy for you to come where I am. But that doesn't really matter because you can do the miracle anywhere. All you have to do is speak it. Okay. This is where I need you to turn the dial a little bit, try to think of this story from Jesus' point of view. This Gentile, not a Jew, not one of his own people, this Gentile communicates to Jesus, I see who you are, I believe what you can do, I'm not worthy for you to do this for me, but I know you can because I understand the seat that you're in. Not a Jewish man, a Gentile man. I see the seat you are in. Now, you've got to remember, last week, if you were here for the last week, one of the uh, scriptures we talked about was where Jesus was having to uh, teach or train the disciples and then the other 72 people he sent out, train them that he has all the authority in the world. Jesus has to spend time with the disciples and 72 and going, hey, before I send you, you've got to understand I've got all the authority in the world to do anything I need. He's got to spend time doing this. People already bought into him. But for some reason, this Gentile understands this. He understands this concept in a way that they didn't understand this. And his understanding came from a personal place. Because from a world standpoint, the centurion sat in the seat that Jesus sits in. He says, listen, when I've got someone over me that tells me to do something, I have no choice but to obey. But when I speak to the people who are below me, they have no choice but to obey. And so I love the word choice he has right here. He said, so all you have to do is say the word. All you have to do is say the word and it will happen. All you have to do is speak it and it will happen. So again, imagine. Imagine being Jesus is in this moment. Imagine being Jesus in this moment of just taking in what is happening, this, this, this moment with this centurion. I mean, think of Jesus and what he's had to deal with up to this point. Over and over and over, he is, he is with people who say, hey, I'm watching you, but you need to prove to me who you are. Up to this point, his conversations have been with people trying to trap and trick him in his words. I mean, think about when he went to his hometown of Nazareth. He goes to the synagogue, they pull out the scroll, he reads the scroll, in case you don't know that story, he is reading from Isaiah, and after he reads the prophecy of the Messiah that comes, he speaks to them and says, I'm here. Do you know what they did? 
they try to throw him off a cliff. This is what he deals with. He's dealing with people who over and over say, you're not him. Over and over trying to prove he is not who he says that he is. These Jewish people who are looking for a Messiah, have been looking their whole life for the Messiah, they won't look at him in faith and believe he's come. But there's this Gentile man, this centurion, who doesn't have their training, doesn't have their background, doesn't have their filter, doesn't have their upbringing, doesn't have the knowledge, but here he is. And Jesus stops. Now, try to picture this. Try to picture his eyes. Try to picture his body language. Try to picture his tone. He stops and he looks at the crowd of people that are following him, interested in what he has to say. Not sure about him totally. We don't know. It's a very diverse crowd, I'm sure. He looks at them and says, I haven't seen faith like this. I've not seen faith like this man has. And so what happens is it seems like he sends those friends home, and when they get home, he see, they see that his servant is healed. This is a big moment in the story of Jesus for so many reasons. But today, I started this conversation talking about after we say yes to Jesus, life doesn't always play out the way we hoped it would. Even while following Jesus, we will have our stuff. And you know what I mean by stuff. We got family stuff. So we got parenting stuff, marriage stuff. We've got stuff. We've got work stuff. We all got things that we're dealing with with other people. We've got financial stuff. We've got like sin stuff. We've got heartbreak stuff. We've got past stuff that we just, we've got stuff that we keep running into in life. In a room like this, we ha all have our stories of stuff that we're carrying, worries that we're carrying. And, 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 and for some of us, we play it really tough like we've got it. For other people, we live in this anxious stress. We all have our different wirings. But it's hard to believe that every one of us doesn't have like those things that I'm following you, Jesus, but like I, I've still got these problems. I've still got these things that I'm carrying. So why this story? What I'm hoping we see from this event in Jesus' life is maybe how it seems he wants us to approach him in faith in the middle of our stuff. Why did Jesus make such a powerful statement about this man's faith in the middle of his stuff? And so I'm going to be pretty simple with you. I've worked through this text all week prayed through this text all week and I just want to show you kind of what God is speaking to me about my faith and how to have it in the middle of my stuff and maybe then the Holy Spirit takes some of these things that I'm learning and goes this is how you can walk through your stuff 
in faith. Because I want to be that guy where Jesus looks at me and goes, wow, what faith in the middle of your stuff. And so you know what I see? (laughs) What I see in this centurion is I see he approached Jesus in humility. Okay, He approached Jesus in humility. Listen, I think one of the major differences I see between the, the, the Jewish people that Jesus was talking about and the centurion is a, an, sometimes an entitled arrogance versus uh, not really believing in worthiness to even approach Jesus. I mean, look at the essence of the request. Came from a place where the centurion goes, I'm not worthy to even really ask for this. I'm not really worthy of even coming to my house. I'm not worthy of this uh, this request. And I think there's something to be said when we approach Jesus from the place that says, I'm going to come to you whether I'm worthy or not. What we can't miss in this story is this is a shocking moment for the Jewish people. Luke is writing this and is not by accident that this Gentile man is the example of how faith is lived in front of the Jewish people. This idea that the Jewish people could learn what faith is from a Gentile This is a shocking moment. Luke is making a huge statement in his gospel in this moment. And I think what he's saying in this particular scene is he's speaking to the Jewish people and he's saying, this is not just about you. This story is not just for you. This Jesus is not just for you. You are not the only ones that can bring requests. You're not the only one that can approach Jesus. It's almost like we deal with this mindset when it comes to like super Christians. We know those people are. You know, it's like Jesus saying, you're going to be a super Christian. The person that's been following Jesus for 30, 40 years and they know the, the ins and outs of how Christianity works. They pray really good. These are good things. They pray really good. They know more about the Bible. Great, great things. But it's not just for them. What if Luke is looking going, because it's not about you, it's about Jesus. It's not about who you are, it's about who he is. What if this moment he turns and he's looking in the crowd and he's like, I haven't experienced this in all of Israel. And he needed them to see, hey, take notice. You're missing something. You think You know what you need to know, and you're missing something. No one is more or less privileged when they approach me because I am for everyone. For some people, this concept is very simple. And you're like, Scott, I know this. But some other people, you don't feel worthy to come to Jesus. You don't feel worthy that your prayer requests are good enough to bring because maybe I don't even know how to ask I don't know if this is even right for me to bring this to someone like Jesus for some people Jesus seems like this okay I, I, he's God and I'm just me so it's like this is just a little thing 
what if when you're in that seat, that's actually the best seat you should be in of like, I'm really not, I'm really not worthy to do it, but here I am bringing it. What if this centurion man, what we can learn from him is he's like, I'm not worthy, but here I am and I am begging you to do this. And what if Jesus is like, that's where faith starts. It comes from a seat of humility. I could very easily go, Jesus, Pastor Scott, I, I, I speak every week. I try to make myself available to people. Like, I, I, I gave my life to you back when I was in college and I've walked this through since and like, you need to do this for me. Jesus goes, God, it's not about you. The person that just met me or has heard about me is just as worthy as you to bring something to me because it's never been about you. It's been about me. We approach Jesus in humility and maybe this is the base of faith. Okay. So Jesus speaks uh, to Pastor Scott this week. But we continue. I see in the centurion man as he respected Jesus' authority. This is right there plastered all over. It is, you see he respects the authority. Like I told you before, I love how he says, just speak the word. Just say the word. Speak it and it will be done. What it reminds me of is we look at the beginning of Scripture and the world is chaotic, the world is formless, the world is a mess. And what's it say? In the beginning, and then God speaks. And what happens? Chaos turns to function. You know, what was broken becomes whole. I'm wondering if the centurion's heard this story before. Or, or maybe the centurion is just hearing about Jesus. He's in Capernaum. Lots of people know about Jesus. I wonder if he's kind of at an early stage of buying into what John says later in his gospel. In the beginning, there was Jesus, and he spoke life into the world. He made created order into the world, and maybe he knows, like, well, he's just at an elementary phase of this. But he's saying, well, if Jesus can speak that into the world, what can he speak into my servant? If he can speak into my servant a wholeness like he did the creating of the world, I know this could change everything. Now, I talk about the authority of Jesus quite often around here. I'll bring it up various times. This is a very important concept to me. Because I think when we totally buy into the authority of Jesus that we approach him differently. When we buy into the authority of Jesus, we no longer approach him with can you, it's will you. There's a difference of approaching Jesus with can you and will you. I don't doubt you're able to, but I wonder will you. Once again, look from Jesus' point of view. He's got this Jew, these Jewish people going... I don't think you are who you are. And the centurion going, you've got all the authority in all the world. It's not can you, will you? It approaches it completely differently. So he's got the humility. I don't even deserve this, but Jesus, I'm asking you. And then he's saying, it's, you've got the authority in all the world. And it's not about can you, it's will you. 
Meanwhile, the Jewish people that are following are still trying to figure out, you got what it takes? Two different faiths right in front of us. How do we approach Jesus? Well, then the third thing that I see, I think it's kind of an undercurrent of this, is that he trusted the heart of Jesus. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I think his pleading came from a place of, Jesus, I heard you were a good man. A lot of times before people even knew everything that Jesus done, the word of Jesus is a good man started being passed around. And I'm wondering if his pleadings come from, coming from a place of, I'm scared. I'm in pain. I'm about to lose someone I love. Someone that means so much to me. Jesus, not only can you, I know you can, but I trust your heart in this. You see what I'm dealing with. I have faith that your heart is good, that you are a good man. I know, I think there's an undercurrent, because why would he come to Jesus if he didn't trust his heart in this, of like, you seem to love people, a heart for people. And you know why I think this is super important? Is because when we realize this, not only is he able, but he has a heart that loves us, then no matter what the outcome of our prayer is, we trust it's for our best. Some of us live in, I'm not worthy, but I know you can, Jesus. But do we really trust the heart of Jesus that he sees us and responds to us the best way for us? What if I could say that this is a vision of how faith should work? Is faith is acting like God is telling the truth and trusting his heart to do what's best. It's not just that you can. It's I know you know what's best. What if there's another level of faith? It's not, faith isn't just believing he can, but faith says, I know whatever you do will be the best thing for me. Do you know why I think this is so important? Is because our faith now is sitting in the seat of, I'm not just praying for one outcome, I'm praying for the outcome you want me to have. And how much different is a prayer request? We say, Jesus, do this, versus, Jesus, I really want you to do this, but what I really, really want is for what you want for my life, because I trust your heart. What if it's a whole other level of faith? It's not just faith in his actions, but faith in his motive, in his care, in his heart. It's not a deeper place of faith than who Jesus is. I want us to be people who have humility to go to Jesus and just say, I know I don't deserve it, but I'm going to ask you. I'm not better than another person, but I'm going to ask you, and I'm, I'm doing it from this place, uh, this posture of humility. But I'm coming to you. You know I'm coming to you, Jesus, because I know you can. And even more, not only can you, I think you see this situation even more than I do. So I trust you. What I really want for our church this year is to lean into, hey, I'll follow you, 
I'll let you send me. And as I'm doing that, as I'm going about life, I'm going to run into stuff. But I'm going to trust you through all of it. Because I don't have moments of faith. I have a lifestyle of faith. And my faith in you resides in the place of, it's not about me, it's about you. It's not about me, it's about you. And, and it's about you because you're able to do anything. You have all authority in the world. And since you have all authority, you can do it. But even more than that, I think you love me. I have faith that you really, God in heaven, loves me. And do you know what can change about our lives then? We're willing to come with anything. When you know someone loves you, you will come to them and say, I know you want to help me and you'll do what's best. Even more than that, I know you can. And so I'm coming to you not because I think I deserve it, but because I just trust you. Would you ask Jesus for more this year if you had the centurion kind of faith? Would you trust him in the middle of your hardest moments if you had a centurion kind of faith? Would it change how you approach Jesus and how you trusted Jesus if you looked at this in the same sort of way? Jesus is working on my faith as I read this text and my prayer is he begins to work in your faith as well so we land in a place where this year we open doors for Jesus to do the miraculous because we come to him again and again and again and again in faith that he can do it in the way he knows best what I'm hoping this year is that we pray we pray like Jesus is able, but trust like he knows best. Over and over and over. Heavenly Father, thank you for using Luke to give us this story. There are people right now who need their faith to be encouraged, inspired to be grown. Because they're going through some stuff. And so God, I pray today that we would see you as you are, someone who is able and someone that is loving, and that you will speak to us, and that you would, you would put something deep inside of us, that we just say, I'm bringing you everything I've got, because I trust you, that's where my faith is. And I pray that you would speak to your people today. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you liked this message and would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.